0: The story <coughs> is told uh, about a prodigal. Uh, the story comes from somewhere in Asia where uh, a young guy goes off and lives his uh, life in wild living and, and dishonours his family and, of course, in uh, a, a many parts of Asian culture, it's to do with honour and honouring family. And he goes, um, goes away and uh, finally, as, as the story goes, of course, he comes to his senses. He writes to his father and he says to his father, I'm planning to return, uh, but I'm so nervous that you will not receive me. If you are willing to receive me, will you place one ribbon on the tree outside of the house where the train goes past? And I'll look out as the train goes by and I will see if there is a, a ribbon there. And if there's a ribbon, I'll come home. If there is no ribbon, I'll just keep going. So the time comes and he, he, he gets ready and he, he's anxious and nervous. He's on that long train journey. And as he gets to the town, he knows he's going to pass the spot where he asked for the ribbon to be on the tree. He can't look. He looks down and he asks the lady next to him and says, is there a ribbon on the tree? Kind of pushes her. I can't look. And and the woman goes, "No, there's not a ribbon on the tree. But the whole tree is for the ribbons. That's some welcome. There's not just one ribbon. There are multiple ribbons there. And that is the heart of the father for the prodigal. That is the heart of the father." For people that he loves. and sometimes we are praying for our prodigals in all of our different situations, and we're asking the Lord to be at work and to minister. And and the welcome back, we just keep believing, we keep praying, we keep asking the Lord to move and to work. If I haven't met you before. Uh, my name is Phil. Uh, I'm married to Michelle. We have four children. My wife is currently in uh, France, in Normandy. Uh, and is there working with Sudanese refugees. President Trump has just left. He, they didn't meet. Um, <laughs> but uh, they were hoping, the Pursuit School were hoping to make connections. So yesterday they were in Normandy uh, at um, a significant bridge there, and uh, they were um, uh, having a prayer meeting and worshipping and praying for Europe. And today, this afternoon, they're working with Sudanese refugees. 30 Sudanese were shot down in cold blood uh, just la- this week, if you may have been watching the news. And of course, the Sudanese refugees, for some reason, have gathered in Normandy, and they try and get to England, which they seem to feel is the, is the promised land. I can't understand that. Uh, I thought, uh, English? No, I'm, I'm Australian. Uh, so trying to get to the promised land. So do pray for our team. There's 16 of them. Pastor Joel's there and uh, Michelle's there. Chris Baxter is with them. And, uh, and they're there uh, involved in church planting and, and supporting for the next 10 days. So do pray for them. Particularly pray for me um, as I'm at home with the children. Um, thank you. Uh, There was no sympathy there at all. (laughs) I don't blame you. Um, So if you're new to Willow Park Church, uh, we're a multi-site church with um, six congregations, four locations. South is um, our location in the mission. I've been with the church for nine years. And what an honor it is to have been traveling with Willow Park Church. What an honor it is to see people, even last night at Saturday night congregation, seeing people touched by the power of God and baptizing that person, last night it was remarkable to see the way that God moves and works. What I want to share with you is um, today's Pentecost. Now, I know we're nonconformists and that we often forget that there is a Pentecost. We must never forget that there's a Pentecost, by the way. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is vital to the success of your Christian walk. What I want to do is talk about the Pentecost legacy, as it were, within our lives and talk about how as a church we continually need the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. We continually need the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives as we move forward. We've been studying together as a network the story of Joshua. I've really enjoyed it. I haven't finished it yet. Still, I'm still behind, so the walls haven't come down yet in my preaching. So we're still marching around. That We've been marching for weeks. And, and we've been talking about this. Of course, we started off by talking about obstacles. And the reason is is that we understand that when we look at the obstacles in our life, they can grow. But when we look at the power of God and the greatness of Jesus, those obstacles can shrink. So where are you staring and what are you looking at? What are you really looking at within your life? Are you looking at the mountain? Are you looking at the maker? And when you look at the maker, the situation changes always. And then we looked at the whole story of Rahab. And understood that that Rahab was willing to jump on the promise. And to travel in the promise because God had promised Abraham to bless all nations of the world. And that we're not here by mistake, but God has got a plan. And that plan is for every one of us. And we invite God into that plan. God will make that difference. Of course, the great point about Rahab was her willingness to be obedient to God and to trust God and not to step into fear. And so we have these, these, this battle that goes on within our lives, is this, am I going to stare at the problem that I'm facing or I'm going to look for the presence of God? Am I going to get on board with God's plan or am I going to let fear hold me back in line? The third sermon, of course, was about the whole idea of of the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, the move of God, the power of God that would be with the people. Everything was in the Ark of the Covenant, the power of God that was at work and moving. And, of course, that day when Joshua said, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to use normal approaches." To bring down the walls, we're going to use these guys in long robes and we're going to carry the Ark of the Covenant and we're going to step forward and we're going to trust in the presence of God for this situation. And it is by the presence of God that we're going to see the walls come down. You and I need to learn to invite the presence of God into our problems and our situations. And when the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes, our situations change because of the power and the presence of God in our lives. You've got a difficulty? Ask God to come in his presence and in his power. Some situations, as we know, can only be dealt with by prayer and fasting when we know from Mark chapter 6... That he says, well, well, why can't we cast this spirit out of this boy as he's convulsing and throwing himself on the floor? And Jesus says, I'm sorry, some situations need out of, out of prayer and fasting to see a change. And maybe in your own life, you see the problems and the difficulties you're facing and the only true answer is to start to pray, is to start to fast, is to start to look for God to make that difference. But of course, the ark is holiness. And holiness is key, but a lot of us are afraid of holiness. Can I change the words from holiness to wholeness? See, I become holy when I become whole. When I allow Jesus to heal my insecurity, when I allow Jesus to heal my jealousies, when I allow Jesus to heal my lust and make me whole, I become holy. And it's the most beautiful thing holiness is. Holiness is not just for nuns, it's not just for monks, it's not just for Willow Park pastors, it's for all Christians. We are all called to be holy. But I've never reached holiness in my own power. I've only reached holiness by allowing Jesus to heal my brokenness and my sinfulness and to break the strongholds and to bring freedom within my life. And to do all of this, we need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. And that's what I want to share with you for a few minutes. But when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The glorious day, a glorious day when the power of the Spirit began to move. It had been ten days, probably been a tough ten days. The disciples were amazed because they stood there and they watched Jesus' ascension ten days earlier. In, um, in Acts chapter one. And Jesus has said to them, "Tarry, stay in Jerusalem and I will send you the power of the Spirit. Now wait for ten days. And they're standing there, their necks are straining and they're looking up in amazement, thinking what just happened? He was on a cross, he is risen again and now he is ascending up and they're in that position, staring, watching Jesus leave His ascension. It was a remarkable moment and never to be forgotten. But then they began 10 days. I imagine the 10 days were remarkable because over each day, the 10 days, their need for Jesus' power started to grow. I mean, they'd received the Spirit Jesus breathed on them, but there was something that was missing. There was something that was lacking. There was something that was needed within their lives. And probably they were feeling the need, the desperation, the emptiness, that they were missing something within their lives and they were longing for a moment when things would radically change and that God would do something in their lives. I think for all of us, If I ever lose that longing for a deeper encounter with the presence of Jesus, then there is something wrong with my walk. Longing for his presence, longing for that, because there are times in my own life, even as a spirit-filled Christian, born again, walking in the Lord, there are times when I know that I'm empty. There are times when I know that I'm doing it in my own power. There's times when I know that I am I am, I am there, and, and I'm in that 10-day period, and I need something to change. I need something to happen. I need something. I've been looking up, and I need God to invade into this situation and to make a difference. Uh, this morning, the challenge is on the day of Pentecost, are, are you empty? Have you been running on empty? Have you been pushing the car of your life rather than allowing Jesus Christ, as it were, to fill it? Isn't it always embarrassing when you run out of petrol? I hate it. Or, if I may speak Canadian, run out of gas. I hate it. I hate it when that happens. It doesn't happen too often, but recently my wife took my car um, and, and I knew that it needed filling, but I didn't know she was going to take it and so I got the phone call and she says, I'm on Springfield, it's empty, come and save me. <laughs> oh, I was lucky I was at Theo Paul's, and I, 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 I left immediately and I took a can from there and from Paul's to where she was at Springfield it was literally five minutes and I arrived within moments as if I'd been translated by the power of the Spirit and there I was, but she was not speaking to me. She says your car had no petrol. I said, you didn't tell me you were going to Superstore. I don't need to tell you. I just got in the car. I said, I know, but you never drive my car. What? Because it smells. You don't like it. So she said, you don't know the lucks and the abuse I've had off the people coming past me. She said, I've just lucked down and read my Bible. Life gets messy when you run it on empty. You bicker. You get frustrated. You have resentments. Offense starts to fill your emptiness. Because if you keep areas of your life empty, something else will fill that area of your life. That's why you need to be filled. And it's the day of Pentecost. And they're all gathering in the city. And as they all gather in the city, there's great excitement. You see, Pentecost is the feast of the first fruits and the feast of the harvest. In fact, Pentecost, because of its position in June, became the most most um, biggest festival event in the Jewish calendar. And that was because Everybody could travel in June. The weather was great in June. Everybody made their way there. They loved it. They celebrated the two great loaves, and they would celebrate the feast and the harvest and and it was cosmopolitan. It was party time. Everybody was there from every language. The Greek Jews could arrive. The Egyptian Jews could arrive. The Jews from Rome could arrive. The Mediterranean Sea is calm. You're not going to be blown to pieces. June is the Perfect time to visit Jerusalem, and that's why Pentecost was so big, cosmopolitan. And it's no mistake that there they were at the Feast of First Fruits, and that morning when the Holy Spirit came, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. And notice something they prayed for 10 days, they preached for 10 minutes and 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Wow. Do you know what the church does today? We preach for 10 days, pray for 10 minutes, and we're fortunate if somebody gives their lives to Jesus Christ. See, we get it the wrong way round. It's the prayer and the seeking after God that makes all of the difference. And here they are now celebrating the glory of God and the power of the Holy Spirit comes. Now let me explain something about, about Pentecost for you. Pentecost, although it was the feast of the first fruits, the first harvest, Pentecost at this time of period in the history of Jerusalem became now the celebration of the, the giving of the Torah the law of Moses. So the celebration had had, had kind of shifted from just celebrating the first fruits of harvest and the goodness of God to celebrating the first five books of the Bible, celebrating what Moses brought, celebrating the law. Everything was about the book. Everything was about the law. Everything was about the Torah. Everything was about that God gave them on the mount. Uh, Sinai, and all that God did and all that God moved. So it's no surprise that the power of the Holy Spirit, after 50 days from the day of the Passover feast, and that's literally what Passover means, it means the weeks, the 50, the 50 days after the Passover, the feast, where they would all concentrate on the law of God, and they would all concentrate and what Moses brought, the Holy Spirit fell on the Church of Christ, and suddenly it was no longer law-focused, it was no longer Torah-focused, but it became Christ-focused, and it became Spirit-filled focused. And that was the great shift, that we went from law and death to life and the Spirit. And there's a dangerous thing when we live our lives by the law, but we do not have the power and the work of the Spirit within our lives. And Pentecost was that moment when the shift went from law and death to life and the power of the Spirit. And you and I are part of that church that was birthed that day through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I think in our own walk in our life, We need to centre on, as it were, focus on the bullseye, which is Christ and the work of the Spirit within our lives. Every morning we get up and say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, may me, I live in the knowledge of the first fruits of a harvest of Gentiles, that God, you moved in power. And, the, and, and Peter got up and preached and 3,000 gave their lives to Jesus. Lord, we long for that day when the Holy Spirit moves amongst his church and people experience the working power of Christ. The church is useless without the power of the Holy Spirit. Now notice a number of things that happen. Well first of all they got courage. I always remember uh, preaching in South Wales. It's a lovely little story. I was a young evangelist and I'd gone to South Wales and I was preaching in somewhere like Trehowis. I say that word for nobody here is interested except Lyndon Thomas. And um, a little place, Tridiga and Harris. And I went to Tredegar and, and I preached there with a group and, and a load of Welsh boys came in and a load of young little uh, tearaways gave their lives to Jesus. And I remember this little guy, looked at me, I say little, he's about 15, he had a big round face with, with freckles. And he says... He says, I found Jesus. I said, I know. I said, let me pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He was about to say the most profound theological thing. I said, I'm going to pray for you now. He said, okay, yes. I remember he had big ears. He was cute. He he looked like a taxi cab with the doors open. And, And I looked at him and I said, okay. I said, um. I'll pray for you. He said, okay. So I prayed for him. I guess I was about 19. He was about 15. And I prayed, Lord, fill him right now with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I thank you. He gave his life to Jesus. I prayed for the power of the Holy Spirit to come on him. And his eyes were still closed, but I could see that his ears were slightly moving. And and then I said, I said, what do you feel like? What's going on? And in the most beautiful South Wales accent, he said, I feel bigger. I feel bigger. I feel bigger. Okay, in Canadian, he said, I feel bigger. So, at that moment, I love that little phrase. Because he went from feeling small to feeling bigger. When the Holy Spirit touches our lives, something happens within us that changes the way we view the world. But suddenly, something changes, something happens. So what happened when they started to feel bigger? What happened when this moment took place? Well, a number of things happened. First of all, where they were, were suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind from heaven filled. The roar of God the wind of God. They would understand this. It was a tornado that hit that moment that would turn the spiritual world upside down like a tornado travelling through a, a small town. Everything is, is a mess and thrown upside down. This tornado had landed on earth and it would change everything. It would change the way we see God. It would change the way that we engage with Jesus. It would change everything, and everything was thrown upside down. The second thing you notice, that there was the roar, which was the ruah of God, the breath of God, or the pneuma of God in the Greek, the power of God, the roar. It was like a freight train coming, and everything was shaking and moving, and you could see, and I imagine that their robes were blowing around, And then, what do we have? Third thing, we have fire. Very important. The fire comes, separates, and rests on each one of them. Up until this moment, the fire of the Holy Spirit, or the fire of the presence of God, has turned up in a number of places in Scripture. It's turned up in a burning bush. It's turned up on top of a mountain, Sinai the fire was there, it's turned up in the wilderness, in the darkness, as the fire by night. But what I notice about the fire is the fire is always distant, the fire is always on the mountain, the fire is far off, the fire is there, but you don't touch the fire because the fire will consume you and even destroy you. But right here, the fire comes. And what does the fire do? It separates and rests on every believer. Everything's changed, because every believer in Christ now has the fire of the Holy Spirit on you. Fan into flame. Let that fire grow. The day of God being distant and on the mountain has gone. The day of God being ahead of us and we're facing the fire at night, and we're trying to follow it, and we're watching the flame have gone. Why? Because you've been born again, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and the fire of God rests in every one of you today. Amen? That should get us a little bit excited. You see, for the Jews, they would read this, and now I'm going to quote Dave's favourite verses... That they would instantly knew what was going on here when they had the wind and they had the shaking and they had the fire and they had the thunder, as it were. They had the presence. Then suddenly Ezekiel 37 comes to mind. The dry bones start to live, start to move, start to minister. God starts to move in power. The wind blows and what was dead now becomes alive and a mighty nation is raised up. That's Pentecost and you and I are part of that new church. Because people looked on and thought, are you drunk? (laughs) They look like they're stoned. Are they drunk? Are they crazy? Are they mad? They're talking uh, languages of great dialects with great confidence and great strength and power. What on earth is going on? They must be completely insane and drunk. You see, modern people, modern cosmopolitan people will always explain away the supernatural and it's a dreadful place to be in your spiritual life when you're always explaining away the power of God at work in the world. Don't allow yourself to become so modern that you forget the power of God in your life. Don't allow yourself to become so empty that you forget the power of God in your life. And he's filling you. And they spoke with boldness. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It comes and it gives us boldness. And what does the Holy Spirit do in our walk? Well, for the final five minutes, let me just... Um, explain what the Holy Spirit does. I'm reminded of a preacher called Billy Bray. Anybody heard of Billy Bray? Okay, a couple of you. Well done. Spurgeon wrote about Billy Bray, saying that he was the most remarkable of men because he was so full of the Holy Spirit that he always praised God. It was about, I don't know, the 1850s. He was a preacher in Cornwall. He was a tin miner. He got filled with the Holy Spirit, got converted, and he would aggravate everybody and win everybody to Jesus because he was so full of the joy of God. That Billy Bray would pray. He'd get to the mine and he would pray, Oh Lord, today, if anybody's going to die in the mine, because people die all the time, may it be me. I want to die today because every one of these guys are miserable, but I'm happy and full of the Holy Spirit. I'm happy to die. Now, that's quite an evangelistic message, isn't it? In fact, he'd go to some meetings and people would be moaning about conditions. He'd say, you may be drinking from vinegar, but I'm drinking ladles of honey in my life. Sometimes I feel God's presence so powerful that if they chopped my legs off, I would jump along on my stumps before God. I mean, he's quite expressive, as you can imagine. But I love Billy Bray because he was full of joy, full of glory, full of the presence of God. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. Be very careful then how you live, not as an unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul telling us here? He's telling us that the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life is number one, that we love to communicate with each other about the goodness of God. Communication. What Pentecost teaches us, and the Spirit-filled life teaches us, don't stop communicating with each other about the goodness of God and blessing each other. The problem with today's society, we become isolated and alone, but you can't do Christianity alone. And the great blessing is communicating with one another with the blessing of God. The second thing in this scripture is joy. That the, a spirit-filled life is one that is full of joy and happiness and goodness and God's greatness and joy. Joy is something to be sought after and joy is something to be wanted. The third thing is don't stop giving thanksgiving for everything you've got in your life. Live your life with thankfulness. Live your life with blessing. Be thankful. It has been scientifically proved that if you are thankful every day in your life for a certain amount of time, it changes your, the way that you think about life and even can 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 see mild levels of depression pushed back through thankfulness. Thankfulness. It's about yielding. That we yield to God and we yield to one another. And it's about serving each other. It's not surprising that the following verses that follow are about husbands and wives and about relationships and about honouring each other and serving each other and laying down our lives within our homes, within our work, within our family. But you cannot do those things without the power and the anointing and the work of the Holy Spirit. Because when you've got the true joy of the Holy Spirit, there comes these five things. There comes the communication with one another The joyfulness deep within your life, the attitude of thanksgiving about what God has given you, the yielding to the will of God and the purposes of God and the servant-hearted nature of Christianity. Those five things are the marks of a spirit-filled life that makes a difference in this world. And for me, I need God's spirit. The, as it were, the Ark of the Covenant. I need His power to be present in my life each day, filling me and making that difference in my life. Hallelujah. And I want to encourage you that if you are dry, if you're lacking something, that that fire on the mountain has now split and rest on you. But like any fire, you've got to keep it burning, you've got to keep it going, you've got to tend to it, and you need the fire of the Holy Spirit to live this Christian life. You need the infilling. You need the presence. You need His presence to come and fill you. Let's stand together. As we think about these thoughts on the day of Pentecost, massive day in the church calendar. It's actually the church's birthday, really. It's the birth of the church. I want to remind you that Pentecost now centers on Christ and his spirit. I want to invite you to invite the Holy Spirit to take control of your life. Let that tornado in. Maybe there's areas of your life that need turning upside down and you need to hear the roar of the breath of the lion of Judah like the roar of the breath of God. Maybe you feel small, and actually now it's time, it's time to ask the Lord to feel you again, so that he will give you that power and that strength. So in whatever way is appropriate as we sing together, I'd love to pray for you where you are on Pentecost Sunday, I'd love to pray that you would be filled afresh with the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke has already said uh, he can manage one hand. So whatever hands you can manage, whether it's a small cup or open your hands, if you'd like to receive this prayer, then on this morning... Just reach out your hands perhaps to the Lord as a sign of, of that your desire to be filled afresh. As Timothy says, whenever you come together and pray, lift up holy hands. I think we... I'm simply going to pray a prayer and then... After I've prayed the prayer and said, Amen, I'm going to ask that at that moment we go into a moment of silence. And we can just receive. And then after a few moments, we'll worship together. And if you want deeper prayer, you can come and stand at the front. And uh, the elders are here and the team are here. And we'll pray with you. Lord Jesus, right now, we confess, Lord, in our lives that we are empty. And we long for more of your presence. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray now That you will come and rest on each one of us. Holy Spirit, we pray that the springs of living waters will flood within us as we are filled afresh. God, give us that joy. Give us that thanksgiving. Fill us afresh, Lord, I pray. With your Holy Spirit now. So on this day of Pentecost, in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen.